I've been really excited for today uh, about, I think, seven to eight years ago. I can't remember. That's why I had Jeremy count because seven or eight is hard for me. I was uh, at a conference with a friend and mentor who kind of let me just tag along. I was 23 years old. And uh, at the end of it, I was in the airport about to fly back to, to Phoenix with him. And I clearly remember this moment. I, I pulled up my, my phone and sent an email uh, to somebody to say, hey, when I get back, we need to talk because I needed to, to move on from the position I was in. And that was the moment that really the idea and the, the first breath of this church was taken that long ago. It was wild. I've been reflecting on this a lot. And uh, he is here today uh, to speak. And so it's a beautiful moment for me to recognize a church's life is just like a person's life. There's immense beauty and moments of celebration. A lot of us have experienced that. And there can be brokenness and challenges a lot of us have experienced. And what I've got to see again and again and again is that God is faithful. So he's so good. It's so good to get to, to follow him alongside of you. And I'm excited to, to welcome Tyler Johnson. He's the lead pastor of the Redemption uh, Congregations in Arizona. And, uh, thankful to have him with us. Will you please welcome him? <coughs> All right, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, you guys are reminding yourself of practices that you engage with as followers of Jesus together at Red Restoration Church. Um, so Matthew chapter 6, if you have a Bible or if you take out your phone and go to Version or even type it into Google, you'll get it there. But I want to read um, these 10 full verses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through verse 15, where Jesus is speaking of prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, right now that you would teach us to pray. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see things we may have not seen the exact same way uh, before. God, I pray that you'd let our ears hear what you want from us. And God, I pray that you would saturate our souls with who you are. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I read this section, it's called the Lord's Prayer. I am certain that many of you that are in here have heard of the Lord's Prayer before. I did not personally grow up 
as a regular church attender. I didn't even grow up in a Christian family. We would have been culturally Christian. We celebrated Christmas and Easter. But my grandmother, my mother's mother, went to Inglewood United Methodist Church every single Sunday since she had been five years old and moved to Inglewood, Colorado from Aurora, Nebraska. Um, she had gone there. And so she would go and, and try to speak to me often. And she laminated for me when I was probably about 11 years old, a Lord's Prayer and a 23rd Psalm. So the 23rd Psalm is the Psalm that says, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, makes me lie down in green pastures. But then she laminated for me the Lord's Prayer, this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I remember reading it, so I familiarized myself with it but I didn't fully understand it. But those two things, interesting enough, after I came to faith in Jesus, um, became the foundation, and to this day are the foundation of my prayer life. So the, I'm sorry, the Lord's Prayer is familiar um, to many of us, maybe at times too familiar, overly familiar. And the truth is, if I sat in this room and said, for how many of you in this room is prayer easy? There'd be some hands that go up. But if I said, for how many of you that are in this room is prayer hard? Lots of hands would go up. Prayer's hard because of what we just read. God is unseen. When somebody's unseen, you feel unheard. And there's just a lot of confusion. There's a lot of other concerns we're thinking about rather than quieting ourselves in a room, as this passage said, and did it. And I am convinced one of the reasons for that is we don't know the why behind prayer. There's a famous business consultant now. His name's Simon Sinek, and he became popular with a 2009 TED Talk called Start With Why. And in this TED Talk, he draws three concentric circles the first one, he says, most organizations and or leaders understand what they do. Then he said, and then they understand how they do it. But he says, that's not what makes a great organization or a great leader. He says, the best organizations... The best leaders, the best communicators, the apples of the world and the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world are geniuses because they understand their why. This is an amazing framework for us to understand why at times something like the Lord's Prayer or prayer becomes overly familiar under the point of not doing it or why prayer is so difficult is that we haven't started with the why. Simon Sinek says most organizations come this direction, outside in. They understand the what, they understand the how, but they miss the why. But great organizations start with why and then move out. So when we look at prayer, I'm sitting this morning with my son, Yale, who's sitting there. Front here, we're drinking um, a coffee together, and I say, what is prayer? And he kind of looks at me like, why are you asking me these questions at 7.30 in the morning? I know you're about to teach. Don't use me to study, right? So what is prayer? And he said, very simply, great answer, talking to God. 
The how of prayer, we're going to get to today. This is actually in the the book of Luke when the Lord's Prayer is mentioned. The disciples come and say, teach us to pray. Basically, how do we pray? This passage in Matthew chapter 6 literally says, this is how you should pray, which we're going to get to. But the bigger question I would submit that we have to start with is, why do we pray? And the only way we can answer the question, why do we pray, is to ask the question of, why do we exist? Why do we as human beings exist at all? And the simple answer to that is because God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Now, what is love? I like this definition. A friend of mine named Mike Metzger gave it to me, to me and he said, love is the enjoyment of another and the desire to expand the circle. Let me say that again and then give you an example. Love is the enjoyment of another and the desire to expand the circle. So when you are enjoying a friendship with somebody or a relationship with somebody, when you enjoy that, you begin to go, I want to introduce you to so-and-so because you're enjoying the relationship and you want to expand the circle. Now, God in his nature uniquely taught in our Christian tradition through the Bible, is a triune God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is why many people would call God the holy family. So when God is sitting there, fully enjoying one another, God did not create the world and or us, which you and I are included in the us, he didn't create us out of need or because he was bored. He says in Genesis, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, create male and female in our image, in the likeness of us. He did it in love. He was enjoying himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and love is the enjoyment and expanding of the circle. And so he created the world and all humanity to dwell in the world. Now, here's where it gets pretty cool and interesting. You might want to say, interesting, and then it may take some time to get to cool. But both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's spoken that God created people that he would form a bride. Let me stop here, and I know this is where some people can be like, this is kind of odd. But both in Hosea chapter 2 and in 2 Corinthians verse 11 It is spoken that God has made a people and called a people that he will wed to himself. So the church is called the bride of Christ. So there's this family imagery in the Bible that God created us out of love, enjoying himself and desiring to expand the circle. And in the expansion, he's creating a people that he can wed himself to. So Paul says it this way in the passage I mentioned to you in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. He's speaking to this church and he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now the Bible, let's be honest, like when you read the Bible a lot, you're like, that is weird, right? He says, okay, you're the bride and I'm presenting you to Jesus as a pure virgin to him, 
which in this very real way, the imagery God's giving is that he's creating a people to wed and bed. Now, we're not going to go there, but it's what you see is union and intimacy. At the core is that God is desiring, here's the way we talk about it in a lot of our circles and church, relationship. And this is where I'd say to you, what's so important about this is that prayer is talking to God, which is true, right? When you love somebody, you want to be with them. When you love somebody, you talk to them, but you talk to them in certain ways. At times, the pressure's off with someone you love. You can just talk freely and you can be who you really are. At other times, you're casting deep burdens upon them. At other times with people you really love, you can sit in their presence and shut up. You don't have to say a word. You're just comfortable being in their presence because you love them. And not just because you love them, but even more so. The moment you can be confident to kind of be yourself or be confident to be quiet is because you are loved. You know, when it's sitting in this moment, like it's just, it's a comfortable moment to talk freely or just to be. One of the greatest moments of my last summer um, was when my son Yale came out. I was sitting out in the backyard of my childhood home in what's now called Centennial, Colorado. It was Inglewood, Colorado. And I love this house. It's a really simple ranch house, has a basement, sitting in the backyard. It's probably my favorite place on earth. And when I sit out there now, middle-aged man, I'm sitting out in this kind of loungy chair, plastic chair that can break if you're a little overweight. Um, But you lean back and it's got these big armrests so you can set a drink on it. And I had just gotten, sorry if this offends you, but some Diplomatico rum. So I'm just sitting there with this little goblet with some Diplomatico rum. You can kind of look, the moon's there. You can see the mountains off on the side. And all of a sudden, Yale walks out. And I had been thinking at the time, like, why do I love it here so much? What is it that makes me say this is my favorite place on earth, this really simple home in this backyard that my mom tends to, like a gardener, why do I love this place so much? And the simple answer was, because I was so loved here. And I continued to be so loved here. I want to go back to where I'm loved. I feel here would be a word, safe here. This place is just good. And I understand not everybody had great family environments. I totally understand that. But even if you have the ability through a bad family to be frustrated with what you didn't have reveals what you really want and what you know is the truest thing in the world, which is these powerful familial relationships. So my son walks out to me and he sits down and goes, dad, can I talk to you? We end up having a very great conversation about freedom. It was a specific situation. And I thought to myself, that moment was so powerful to me because I just thought if even at that moment he felt like he could come to me is not because I'm a perfect dad, but he felt loved. Many times prayer is hard because we don't understand that is what God is. Not what he's like. He's like love because he is love. He is the father who sits out there. He is the best spouse. These are the images. He desires more than we do intimacy with us. And if we don't start there, we'll miss the purpose and the power of 
prayer. So now when we're taught from there, then this is how you should pray. In the how category, I wanna start of, we start prayer in the how belovedly. We pray belovedly, be loved. We pray loved. That's where we start. That's the why of prayer. God is love. God loves us. We start praying belovedly. Then he says, pray like this, our father. Our father. Now, when I married my wife, Haley, her father became my father. Her dad was a man named Tom Schrader, who's has been very well known in the city of Phoenix, an amazing Bible teacher, had been a successful businessman. And in so many ways, he became my father. Now I know some of you get married and you begin to call your in-laws mom and dad. Others of you, like me, that's just weird, right? Like I have a mom and dad and yes, you're like my in-laws, I know, but I never got to the point of calling Tom dad. What was interesting about that is my wife never called her dad, dad. She called him Tom. Yale calls me Tyler, right? And people would be like, that's so disrespectful. But actually it was this very intimate way to personalize the reality. But he became my father. My mom, Peggy, has become my wife's mother functionally. My wife calls my mom like three times a day. That's almost weird, like, right? But they have such an amazing relationship that my mother became her mother. When we get unified with Jesus, his father becomes our father. We now pray in union with Jesus in faith in him and him in us, we pray our father. The same quality of relationship that Jesus has with the father, we have with the father because we are in him. We pray pray belovedly. Then he says this, our father in heaven. Now, if you're going to understand how to pray, we have to pray how we pray is belovedly. The next reality has to do with how we understand this word heaven. Because many of us think our father in heaven is this moment where we go, our father who's very distant and far off. And at one level, this is a good part of prayer is that you understand I'm praying to God because he's God and not another human being. There is a distinction between the creator and the creature, but the way the Jews understood heaven is different than the way many of us understand heaven. They understood heaven, I'll use the same image, in three kind of levels. The first was the atmosphere and then it began to move itself out. And here's where this gets so important. Let me defend myself first. So I mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11, this passage where he's talking about us being the pure virgin and wed, he's going to present the bride to Jesus. In the next chapter, Paul's defending his ministry saying, I don't want to defend my stuff by by a bunch of stuff I did, but I'm gonna to talk to you about a man. And every commentator would say this vision Paul begins to speak about, he's speaking about himself. And he says, this man was taken to the third heaven. Now that begins to get like, oh, that's weird. But what they knew, and this is what I want you to understand, is heaven as understood by Jesus and the Jews wasn't just about a distant place. The psalmist speaks about this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is his handiwork. The heavens are like the atmosphere. 
it's everything we move in. The Apostle Paul, as he sits before the Areopagus in the book of Acts, he says, God is not far from any of us. He's speaking to a bunch of people that are not Jews. They do not know the one true God. And he goes, God is not far from each one of us. And then his next statement is, for it's in him that we live and move and have our being. God is not far from any one of us, for it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Now, this really helps prayer. If we pray like the loved, and then all of a sudden we go, wait a minute, every, I don't know if you guys remember this old worship song, every move I make, I make in you. You make me move, Jesus. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys are like, what in the world, right? But they're praying that passage. It's in him, I live and move and have my being. Now this has to be true if you read the New Testament because Jesus is the one spoken of as the agent of speaking creation into existence. He's the author of it all. He spoke the world into existence and then Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 says that in Christ, all things. Now is all some? No, all is all. All things consist, hold together in him. The book of Hebrews says that God upholds the universe. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Folks, that means my body is holding together through the active, current word of God being spoken. This building holds together, yes, because of good architects and good engineers, but because of God. That same book in the book of Hebrews says the builder of all things is God. And you're like, no, 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 I know the builder of this building. Well, who made the builder of the building? So he upholds the universe by his powerful word. In him, all things consist, which means Paul's right. In him, we live and move and have our being. The universe, all of Prescott, all of these streets that we walk on, these seats that we sit in, these people that we interact with are bathed with God. The world we live in is God birthed and God bathed. The whole universe is chock full of God. So here's the word. How do we pray? We pray belovedly. And then here's a word not everybody likes. But if we're really going to be people of prayer, we pray mystically. The word mystical, all it means is spiritual and hard to understand. But the reality is we know this. When these kids come up here and I watch them early in the first service, there was kids up here worshiping and I was laughing to myself and you go, oh, that's cute. But honestly, when you watch them, you're like, there's something more than cute. There's something in it that is like God. Like you see in their faces and it's this moment and you've had moments like this. The power of eating, like Landon talked about, is you'll have certain moments where you're having a glass of wine, you're eating and you're like, this like feels heavenly. These moments where you touch something and C.S. Ludo called them the thin spaces where you feel like you touch God. The world is chocked full of God. In restoration, that helps us pray when we recognize that truth. When we can look in somebody's face and say, like Victor Hugo who wrote Les Mes, to love another person is to see the face of God. 
when you can walk trails and know that in these trees and in this breeze, the God of the universe is imminent and active. When you can sit even in a workplace that's incredibly difficult and you can remind yourself, God is in the midst of this place, literally upholding it by the word of his power. This is what helped um, many people in their prayer life come across this book by a man named Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. Here's the simple part of that. Our Father in heaven, God is everywhere present. Everywhere. Everywhere present. There's a, another quote um, that's accredited to a guy named Blaise Pascal. And it's um, kind of a unique quote, but he says, God whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Now, some of you guys are like, I hate geometry. You just said the word circumference. I hate geometry. But what he's saying is his center is everywhere. He is everywhere, but you can't exhaust him. He's God. His circumference doesn't end. Folks, these two truths, we pray belovedly and mystically, have the opportunity to radically transform our prayer lives. So he goes on, then he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name, God. This notion of as we go further into God, we see the world even more clearly. But we have to present God as you are the beautiful one. You are the true one. You are the one who is unlike any other one. You are the one whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose ways are not our ways. You are God and we press in and pray, God, let your beauty be seen by me. Let your beauty be seen by the world. Here's the way the Lord's Prayer tells us to pray that prayer. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name, God. Manifest yourself. And this is how we pray worshipfully. So we pray as the beloved, we pray in the reality that God is everywhere present mystically and we pray worshipfully, like this is about God. Thank God, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he prays this. He says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, here's the truth. When you're with someone you love on an ongoing basis, the things they want at many points begin to be things you want. The challenge with that image is a lot of times when we're around other people who are finite, they're not God, and they're imperfect, they may want things that you're like, that's stupid, right? Or they're just different than you. But when you're with God and you begin to see his desires for life, in freedom, in fullness of joy. You begin to go, God, I want what you want. God, I want what you want. Let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the aligning of our priorities to his priorities because we believe he's good. So this is what we call this. Is, this is us praying missionally. God has a mission the son came to set us free and in him we are free indeed. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. 
So we begin to say, God, your priorities, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying along the lines of God's mission. And then he says this in the how. Give us today our daily bread. So this is the moment in your prayer when we pray loved. We are the loved people of God. We pray in this sense that God is everywhere present. There's not a place I can walk that isn't chock full of God, which just makes the whole environment a recipe for prayer. Pray without ceasing. We pray worshipfully. We're praying and communicating with the God of the universe. We pray that our values and our desires for our cities and our families and our lives be aligned with God. And then he says, and pray, give us this day, our daily bread. This is where we pray like a human. God, I have a lot of stuff I need. I have a lot of questions unanswered. I have a lot of things I want. I have a lot of pain in my life. And he says, pray like a human and pray honestly. Pray, give me, God, today what I need, my daily bread. Folks, this God who spoke the world into existence, who's in the midst of all of it, remember this, he is love. The power of coming to a place of intimate community with a God who is love, who is saying to you, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. The God of the universe cares for you individually. Paul teaches us in prayer, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Request away. If you are the loved, the beloved, in a God-soaked universe, and you're bringing yourself to go, you're God, I'm not, you're praying for alignment, then we pray honestly. Bring your stuff. Cast your cares upon God. God, I am a mental wreck. I'm anxious and I'm depressed. Bring it to God. God, I'm terrified and so nervous. My gut's wrenched about our finances. Bring it to God. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. God, my marriage stinks right now. Bring it to me. God, my relationship with my parents and my family is off. Bring it to me. God, I'm terrified for my kids. Bring it to me. And be viscerally honest. I think Landon's gonna talk next week about your complaints to God. Lament. Pray honestly. The other interesting part about this, when Jesus um, is trying to teach about his fatherhood and the fact that he is love, he gives this image and he says, what father amongst you, if his child came to them and asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Then he says, if your child came to you and asked you for fish, would give him, how many would give him a scorpion? And the conclusion of this in Matthew is that a good father loves to give good gifts to his kids. Ask away. Pray honestly. In the Gospel of Luke, that same story ends this way. Not what father, 
the, the father wants to give good gifts to his kids, but he says this, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He isn't saying, he's just made this whole argument. He's saying, ask away, ask away. He isn't saying, ask for God. Don't ask for financial relief. That is not at all what he's saying. He's saying, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. But in the midst of that, understand the greatest place is me sitting at a table with you. And even more than that is me and you and you and me. The intimacy of union that the Holy Spirit, who we're asking for, activates. And that begins to change what prayer is. Is it is talking, but it's like this intimate talking. This talking as the beloved, this talking of like, you are always and everywhere with me, everywhere I go. In you, I live and move and have my being. It's talking to somebody who has the power to do anything and the wisdom to know what to do and not to do. It is communicating with a God that you know if your priorities were taken about, the world would have more life, more light, and more freedom. And it's the one that loves you enough that you can just be completely honest with him. So give us this day our daily bread is also Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. Take of me. Engage with me. Feast upon me. As he teaches us to pray, he then says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this is the moment, missionally, honestly, we pray confessionally. That's confessing our sin, our mistakes. And here's the reality. If there's a relationship this good, you are a God of this much love. When you're in a loving relationship, you wanna throw off everything that gets in the way of it. That's how the author of Hebrews, like throw off every sin in any entanglement and walk with Jesus. That's what confession is. God, forgive me of my stuff that gets in my way of my relationship with you and relationship with other people. Anything that gets in the way of me loving you and loving others, get rid of it, God. I'm gonna acknowledge it. I'm gonna bring it to you. And then he says, as we have forgiven others. There's this amazing truth in the Bible that if you are harboring a lack of forgiveness, what it shows more than anything is you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. A lack of forgiveness to others, even if people come to your mind, really has more to do with you don't get the why of prayer. You don't get how loved you are. Those who are forgiven much, love much. So there's this contingent moment. If you don't forgive them, you won't be forgiven. All he's saying is, you don't get it. This needs to sink in. How loved you are is the why, which is what then, when you know how loved you are, frees you to confess. And then he says this, and this is the last way we know how to pray, is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the last way we pray is alertly. There is truth. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from who? The evil one. There is an enemy who is anti-love. I tell my kids this all the time. I say, love is the language of God. Fear is the language of the devil. 
The enemy is anti-love. Sin is anti-love. We better be on guard and alert, praying, God, lead us not into temptation because the world is going to try to convince us of ways that are contrary to being the beloved. Restoration, I'll just say this. The practice of prayer is so unbelievably powerful and so incredibly, incredibly intimate when we can understand and start with the why, which is God loving us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for how much you love us. You say it all over the Bible and we'll at the Super Bowl maybe see this verse comes up. For you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believe wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God, let us know that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, And if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.